they take the high road, I take the low road to uh, <laughs> get up on the platform. Really good to be with you. Thanks for your welcome uh, again. Uh, on this uh, first Sunday of the new year together, we're looking at three particular passages in our three services from the book of Revelation. We're going to take what uh, I describe as a helicopter approach in the sense that uh, we're not going to drill down into the details at ground level, though the details are very important and significant, but we're taking something of a high view and an overview. Uh, but seeing it through the lens of one particular scripture, I don't know what your attitude to the book of Revelation is. Uh, you're probably one of those people who've either never opened it and think it's uh, no point in doing so because you won't understand it, or, or perhaps you're sucked in and fascinated by it and it's, you've become addicted to it and it's uh, uh, weird and wonderful interpretations that people can give you. It's a highly visual book and uh, you need to understand uh, that its approach is visual. I've often described it as uh, more poetry than an architect's plan. It's impressionistic a painting uh, rather than an actual photograph, as it were, because it's there to engender, apart from anything else, worship and a sense of sensation about the salvation which is yours. If you don't read this book and say at the end, wow, then maybe you've perhaps not grasped it. Now, we're going to launch uh, this afternoon into the end of chapter 11, Revelation chapter 11. So we're halfway through the book. Uh, the, the book has started with uh, uh, letters to seven churches. It, it's described something of the worship that's going on uh, simultaneously with our own worship up there in heaven as God is on his throne and the Lamb is being worshipped. Uh, and then from chapter uh, 6 onwards, it gets into the, the spooky parts of Revelation as it talks about seven seals being broken with all sorts of phenomena happening. Uh, and they are followed by seven trumpets being sounded, followed by seven bowls being poured out on the earth. Uh, and uh, people may argue about, do these things happen one after the other? Uh, the best way, I think, and many others do, of reading this book is to see it very much like a, a television program where uh, in any drama series, it, sometimes there will be flashbacks and sometimes it will take you to a different scene about the same thing, show you something from another perspective. And often it's replaying the same story. Well, we're camping down at the end of the trumpets this afternoon. And uh, let me read to you from Revelation chapter 11, uh, verse 15 onwards. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever and the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who was. 
for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for the rewarding your servants and the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, both small and great. And the time has come for the destroying of the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake and heavy hail. I think some of that earlier this afternoon. <laughs> so that was a great uh, uh, visual demonstration of what we've just read. <laughs> Listen on... Uh, the 18th of December last year, some of us were rejoicing. Do you remember the day, Sunday? Uh, those of us who were refugees from the World Cup, like me, were delighted that it was over. <laughs> I mean, you were delighted because Stoke City weren't playing in it, were they, JP? Uh, at long last, our televisions have been dominated for weeks by that, uh, tele that uh, football competition. Uh, and then that afternoon, the final penalties were taken, and it was game over, and Argentina rejoiced. Well, Revelation 11, 15 to 19, is looking at the time when the game is over, and it's time to celebrate, for the world to celebrate. And it's painting the picture on the cosmic and spiritual widescreen. And this is far more important than any World Cup football match, which is trivial. There will be another one in a few years' time if the Lord hasn't returned in the meantime. <laughs> Here is every disciple's vision about the future. Uh, I wonder what your vision for 2023 is. A, a friend of mine was asked to preach by his pastor at the first service of, of the new year a couple of years ago. Uh, on vision, and uh, having invited him to preach, his pastor then told him what he had to say, <laughs> which happens from time to time, uh, and it was all about the building of a, a, a new church and a new property. Our vision is bricks and mortar. Many churches have bricks and mortar. I said to my friend who was due to preach, hey, you've got a much bigger vision than that as a Christian. Your Christian vision isn't about bricks and mortars. It's about the whole of a new creation that God is going to bring about. I mentioned the World Cup deliberately because uh, uh, whether you're a follower of the game or not, you'll know that that competition went through various phases, the knockout phase, uh, 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 the, the uh, group phase, first of all, then the knockout phase, before we ever got to the final. And loosely bear that in mind, as I want to give you the wide view of what's going on here in Revelation 11. This is the seventh trumpet. So if you've got an inquiring mind, you might want to know what happened to the previous six trumpets. And that's where we're going to go. Let me introduce you to the initial stages of the contest, the equivalent, as it were, of the group stage in the World Cup. It's more than just the final 
the final shootout that the thing is about. Uh, if you go back a couple of chapters, if you've got a, an old-fashioned thing called a Bible, a, a book in front of you rather than or maybe on your phone, you can scroll back. Uh, you might go back a couple of chapters to chapter 8, where this competition, as it were, begins. And in chapters 8 and chapters 9, we read about uh, the sounding of six trumpets, the previous one to the one that we, previous ones to the one we read about. Uh, and these six trumpets we read uh, are about those who dwell on earth. It's about our experience here and now. And as we hear the sounding of these trumpets, they sound absolutely threatening and disastrous. Uh, let me just give you a flavor rather than anything in detail about them. Chapter 8, verse 6, now the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. They were thrown on the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third, tree, sea, a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet. And a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many died from the water because... It had been made bitter. A fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, and a third of her light might be darkened. A third of the day might be kept from shining, like, and likewise a third of the night. And so it goes on. Frightening, isn't it? Except when you stand back and think of it, well, it is frightening. But this is describing what's happening in our world now. Um, it's talking about ecological disaster. It's talking about scorched earth policies. It's talking about the pollution of contaminated water. It's talking about reduced lights. And if we were to go on picking up from the plagues which Moses visited upon Israel or God visited through Moses on, on Egypt. It picks up the locust plague and ends with an almighty military conflict. Listen, if you listen to the news at all, what is the news dominated by? Well, from time to time, oil spills. From time to time, volcanoes that destroy huge amounts of the earth. A few months ago, a third of Pakistan was underwater. And we increasingly are told about the environmental disaster we're creating as we're cutting down forests and as uh, animals in our oceans are being trapped by the plastic that we're throwing away. It's only a small step from reading what seem to be, indeed, apocalyptic signs saying actually this is happening 
in our world. It, it seems disastrous, but pay attention to what is said. You may have even got a little weary of the way in which I kept on saying a third, a third, a third, a third. And if it's a third, a third, a third, a third, what does that mean? It means that two-thirds, two-thirds, two-thirds are unaffected. These disasters which are real and uh, which are enshrined in the world in which we live are limited. And if we were to go on in chapter 9 and verse 5, it changes the tune a little bit, but it tells us that actually the awful devastation which is being dev uh, visited on the earth is just for five months. In other words, for a limited time. And as we read about the sounding of these six trumpets, you want to cry out, God, why do you permit it? Well, chapter 9 tells you. God permits it in order to bring people to repentance, to acknowledge that he is the Lord, to set aside murder and um, uh, to set aside immorality and idolatry. But the effect is that people won't learn the lesson. They refuse the nudges that God is giving them. And they let God go on sounding the trumpets rather than getting back in step with him. And as those six trumpets are sounded, so we actually get an interruption. That was the scene that was being portrayed whilst actually another scene is now played out. In chapter 12, it, it moves to what's happening simultaneously. It talks about an angel and a scroll. Seems to us very strange and distant. But actually, if you know your Bibles at all, here is the book of Revelation reworking parts of the story and the images of the Old Testament where the prophets eat the scroll delivered to them from God. And there are two things in chapter 12 just to pick up on for our purposes tonight. The first is that chapter 12 says this is going on happening, but it's not endless. It's heading for a destination. And the pace of things is going to pick up so we read, uh, sorry, this is chapter 10, in chapter 10 and verse 6, there will be no more delays. Yes, God has patiently been working in his world, nudging people to return to him, showing them that the way of life of living in independence from God is disastrous, but they haven't picked up on that. And consequently, God is saying, okay, the time is going to come when the pace quickens up, this isn't going to go on forever. There will be a time when the seventh trumpet, the final trumpet, is sounded. But in the meantime, chapter 10 and verse 11 says to the believers in the world, how do you respond to this? Do you withdraw in fear? Do you huddle together for warmth? Do you just uh, terrify each other by gloom and doom and just pray together neatly no no what you do is well you must prophesy again you keep on 
telling the message of God in control, God's kingdom coming, of God's grace, which is available to those who repent. So chapters 8 and 9 are about the sounding of six trumpets of the real world in which we live. Chapter 10, talking about the angel uh, on the earth, is uh, the scroll, is talking about the church playing its part in announcing the good news. And then into chapter 11, we get yet another scene. While all that's happening in some places, uh, well, this insight is about two witnesses. And again, if you know your Old Testament, it's not hard to think of the, the two witnesses. It gets very close to quoting the Old Testament here. Uh, here are two prophets. And uh, chapter 11 tells us, for three and a half years, for quite some little time, they're free to announce the good news and to prophesy powerfully on behalf of God, to speak to God's world. God's message. But then after three and a half years, the world turns on them. Uh, and the spiritual powers that lie behind the unbelievers turn on them. And in verses 7 to 9 of chapter 11, we read of the persecution of these two witnesses. Why dreadful things happened to them, having spoken the word of God. When they had finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit, the spiritual power that lies behind what's happening on the earth, will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. In other words... In Jerusalem. Uh, the church around the world is still persecuted. People are telling the prophets to shut up. They don't want to listen to the message. But you know the significant thing that's said here? How long did they prophesy for? Three and a half years. How long did they lie dead? three and a half days. It's a short, limited period. It doesn't mean to say the world's out of control, that no one's in charge, that there's chaos, that there is no resolution or no end. Actually, the church may be persecuted. They identify with the Lord, their Lord, who was put to death if they are. It's the way God often works in the world. But when that happens, it will happen at a limited time scale. So our call, when before the seventh trumpet is sounded, is actually to preach the gospel and to pay the price in a world that seems to be falling apart and disastrous. And that's all about the initial stage of the cosmic game that is being played out. You move from that group stage, I said we're using the illustration loosely, to that knockout stage, when things get serious. And there's one hint about the knockout stage that occurs 
in these chapters, chapter 11 and verse 11. The two witnesses have been attacked and put to death. Their bodies lie in the street for three and a half days as the people and tribes and languages and nations gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be buried decently and placed in a tomb. And the world rejoices that the church is being done away with. But then what happens? But after three and a half days, chapter 11, verse 11, a breath of life from God enters them. They stand up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Do you see the knockout blow that God is delivering here? Okay, persecute the church. Kill its preachers and its prophets. Let the disasters apparently go on in our world, destroying it. But after three and a half days, after an apparently temporary short time, because God is in control, those that you have put to death will come to life again. And the wording reminds you of the initial creation. What is it? Well, God entered them and a breath of life from God revived them. Where do you read about that? Well, you read that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. It's the way in which God created Adam and Eve in the first place. The breath of God animated them to being living souls and creatures. Here's a, a reference to the resurrection. They were dead for three and a half days. But after three and a half days, they came to life again because no one could keep them down. And this is when God steps in and things begin to change and the final is about to be played out. The prophets are vindicated. The people who'd terrified them are themselves now terrified. And those prophets are now taken safely into God's presence. Here is the decisive move in the battle between the teams of God and evil. And it leads to the celebration of victory. But when any team wins, well, what do you do? You celebrate. I come from Leicester. We happened to win a competition a few years back. And boy, did we celebrate. <laughs> and you saw it there in Argentina. <laughs> uh, whenever people win, there is great celebration. And we move to that third and final phase, which is the blowing of the seventh trumpet, which takes us into the very presence of God and reminds us of the victory of God that we are to celebrate the world is being brought back under God's control. It's wrong things that are destructive have been defeated. And the God who gives life and vitality is rebuilding his creation. And here's the song of celebration. I just want to point out four things to you as we look at that song of celebration. First of all, 
it's marked by a sense of future certainty. What are the elders seeing? Well, they're singing verse 15, uh, that uh, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. It's not maybe it will become. Perhaps there's a battle and we're not sure how it's going to play out yet, who's going to win. They are so confident that nothing can defeat God and his purposes for his creation, that you can sing about the future in the past tense, the kingdom of the world, where human beings have tried to reign and control things and rule things in independence from God, is going to be put to one side because the kingdom of the rightful God himself will take over. And as you look at the details, that message is underlined still further. God is described very often in the book of Revelation as the one who was and is and is to come. But so certain are they of God's victory here that he is described as the one who is and who was. Ah, but he's already come. <laughs> he's not the one who's still to come. According to this victory song, why the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our God. You know the problem with our world at the moment? God gives government, uh, and uh, some are better than others. Some are more aware of their accountability to God than others. But none are perfect, and many are running on a false basis. And their reign and rule and kingdom is what's destroying the earth. But only as the world comes back under the rightful control of God will its ills be cured and its diseases healed. And this is the second thing about this future uh, celebration. Not only does it speak about future certainty, but it highlights legitimate authority. God has a right to this. You have taken your great power. It's not that you've usurped it. It was yours. Satan and all his deputies and all his allies in human beings and human institution, they have tried to usurp your power. But God, it's your great power that's taking its rightful place. You're not an intruder into your world. You made it. You're not there invading it. You're overcoming the invader. You're overcoming the usurper. All is being put back where it belongs rightfully in relationship to God. Think Ukraine. Think of the war that's going on just a few hours from here in Eastern Europe. How an invader has invaded territory and tried to reclaim it. Uh, and how President Zelensky is, is every day inspiring his people to keep fighting in order that they might regain what is rightly theirs and kick out the usurper. And this is the picture that Revelation gives us of the future. God will reclaim his legitimate place 
And in doing that, here's the third thing that they celebrate. Final accountability. Verse 18. The nations raged. The kings of the earth huff and they puff. They pretend that they've got great power. They come out with all sorts of boasts as to what they're going to do and why they are doing it. But the time will come when the dead will be judged, when God's servants will be rewarded. And most significant is this vindication of those who were in the right that the world rejected, that they thought the message of the gospel was nonsense. But actually, God will at long last administer true justice. He will destroy, it says, the destroyers of the earth. We live in a world where there are many powers that are actually destroying our current world. They've taken what God made to be good and beautiful and right and are destroying it. Well, the time will come when they are destroyed. I like the illustration that Tom Wright uses in one of his books about the way in which uh, the rulers of this world, the kings of the earth, uh, and us as human beings generally, pick up, as it were, a valuable Stradivarius violin, and we decide to play tennis with it. And we use it to bash a ball around a court, and it doesn't last that long. And that's what we've done with God's beautiful earth. He made it to be that Stradivarius violin. And for our own ends and our own purposes, and because we won't listen to God, we've tried, as it were, to play tennis with it, and we're destroying it. But ultimately, God will destroy the destroyers. And that leads us to the fourth thing about this celebration. We celebrate future certainty in God's legitimate authority and his final accountability, but we celebrate even more his ultimate victory. As the song reaches and a crescendo of praise, uh, the full royal splendor of God's sovereignty is on display here and is revealed. And the full mercy of God is on display and is revealed. For as John sees this vision of the great celebration of God's victory in heaven, what does it tell us? It tells us he looks and he sees a vision of the temple, and there in the temple, with flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder on earth and heavy hail, the sort of thing that happened when God stepped down onto Mount Sinai, way back there in Exodus. But what captures him is not just the, the fireworks, but what captures him is that the Ark of the Covenant was seen within the temple. That Ark, which housed God's law in the old tabernacle of early temple, that Ark which was the earthly seat, as it were, of God's throne, from which God symbolically ruled the world. That Ark of the Covenant, which was a symbol of God's presence. That Ark of the Covenant that played such a crucial role on the Day of Atonement and was an instrument of God's forgiveness and uh, restoration of his people. 
the ark, this covenant box that had been in the holy of holy places in the tabernacle and then in the more permanent temple, which was lost in the year 587 uh, as the Jewish nation was brought to an end and the Babylonian exile began. That ark as a physical box had done its job. But now as John peers into heaven, he sees the heavenly ark of the covenant. That God at long last is reigning from his seat. That God at long last is present with his people. That God at long last provides full salvation, perfect atonement. Everything is fully and finally settled. The final image of all these frightening pictures as the trumpets have been sounded and the witnesses persecuted, the final images of God's, what used to be called, mercy seat, the place where God's mercy is available. Listen, when the World Cup ended, the game was over, the celebrations began. I tell you, they are nothing in comparison with the celebrations that you and I will one day join in as God takes his rightful place and reigns, putting our world back together. I know some of you may think I lived through the Second World War, but let me assure you I didn't. <laughs> I was born after it. Just. <laughs> but I've seen pictures, as you may have seen pictures, the film footage of what happened when the war came to an end in 1945, and people poured out onto the streets and down the mall and celebrated with the king and queen on the balcony at Buckingham Palace. They didn't hold back. There was joy. There was dancing. There was celebration. There was praise for the king and the queen and all that they stood for, and Churchill joining them on the balcony. The victory had been won. It wasn't uh, that the game was over. It was that at long last, peace had come. The all clear had been sounded. Don't you long for an end, as I do, to the war in Ukraine? Don't you look forward to the day when hopefully Ukraine will have won? The Russians will have left them in peace. The people will be able to pour out on the streets of Kiev and other places in celebration. And they won't live any longer in fear of the sirens sounding and having to take to the underground. The war will be over. The all clear will be sounded. The seventh trumpet looks to the time when the all clear will be sounded. The game will be over and we'll celebrate. Don't have a minor vision. Have a big vision of what God is doing in our world.